Seems like it captures my mood this morning and good fall morning. Almost fall. Seems like it. It was a good weekend. Uh, we had um, yesterday a good group of people out doing our Love Out Loud work in the Barkley Downs and Linwood Estates area, um, working in, I think, about five different homes and doing various service projects uh, to these that uh, were uh, mostly in our church family. Um, but it, you know, it's interesting. Uh, one of the ladies shared with me this morning how a neighbor contacted her, uh, wanted to get in contact with me. Uh, after seeing the work being done, seeing how many people were doing the work, thank you, sweetie, um, seeing the work being done and, and said, you know, I want to talk more about uh, people that's in that church, and uh, so they're trying to get in touch with me. So I, I just, uh, you know, praise the Lord for how the Lord uh, works through things like this um, when you just uh, do what He's called you to do, uh, love your community. And so we're going to uh, keep on uh, praying in this direction, loving out loud, and um, we're going to be uh, looking in the near future about uh, Mingo Creek and some of those neighborhoods as well, a larger neighborhood. Uh, so it's just exciting to see uh, yesterday the Lord's working and, uh, and that. And then you get to watch football. My number one college team pulled it out at the end. Appalachian we had an amazing win, uh, scoring four touchdowns the last quarter. And then my second favorite team almost did that. Um, but, you know, it was just a wonderful time together this past weekend. And, um, you know, we, uh, if you see in your bulletin, uh, you have a calendar about the North Carolina Baptist Mission. Uh, this is our state convention. We're going to be doing a, a special offering this, this month about uh, four of the North Carolina uh, Baptists. And uh, you'll see some of the things they do uh, in a prayer calendar, North Carolina Baptist Men, um, which is nationally known, internationally known as well. Uh, because of the work that we do that's love out loud uh, and, and times of need uh, comes out of the North Carolina Baptist Convention. Uh, we're going to have at the last two Sundays of our month, September, uh, a special offering toward that. We're looking and praying for $10,000 that we can give as a church toward this. And so you're going to become familiar, more familiar with this as we introduce you to this each weekend. Now, um, you know, I, I've been... Uh, thinking this is the month of my birthday, and, and after turning 35, it becomes a lot more uh, reflective uh, and less celebrative um, as uh, we, we come to that. And I was getting my hair cut this, this past week, and I had noticed um, last uh, year that uh, gray is now interspersed with my black, and I was watching it on my uh, apron as it was falling off and thinking, man, you know, when, how, did the, how does this happen, this, this gray? And, and I, I read the scriptures, and it talks about the glory of a, of a gray head. And, and just as you get older, that your, your, your glory changes. Your glory turns into wisdom uh, and having godly perspective. Whereas when you're a young man, the glory is your strength. And so I'm at the age now where it's harder to maintain strength and uh, a lot easier to produce gray hair. And so I'm thinking, you know what? As my strength is declining, I sure hope it gets replaced with wisdom. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, the, the worst thing that could happen is to be, and it's not the worst thing, but a bad thing that can happen is to be an old man without wisdom. Because <laughs> where was your glory then? You got your gray hair, but no wisdom. Uh, being older and going through experiences does not guarantee wisdom. 
being older and going through experiences does not guarantee wisdom. What does? Evaluated experience get, produces wisdom. Evaluated experience. And, and so what I want to do is, is bring to Scripture um, what we're to shoot for in adversity. Uh, last time we talked about this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 through 11, we talked about the strengths that are found in adversity. Where do we go? What can we find for strength in adversity and, and how Scripture brings that to our attention? <clears throat> and, and primarily, that when you go through adversity, it's not so much punishment as it is discipline, correction. And we, if we have the attitude of a father who is working in experiences to teach us holiness and goodness, that it brings great strength to us to know that what we're going through is not just haphazard, but God is custom-making these adversities, these challenges, even the sins of other people against us, even persecution against us. God is allowing these sinful behaviors to occur so that God can correct and work in us toward holiness, and toward the peaceable fruit of righteousness. And the fact of the matter is that God cares more about our holiness, our goodness, than we ourselves do. And God cares more about our holiness and goodness than he does our comfort. He gladly sacrifices our comfort if it will produce holiness and righteousness in us. So that being said, as we go through adversity, we want to make sure that what God is doing and wanting to do in our life actually happens. So when you go through adversity and bad experiences, just because you're going through a bad experience doesn't make you sweeter, doesn't make you more wise. In fact, it can have the opposite effect. So when we go through bad stuff, and it's going to happen, I want to just point you to what Scripture says that will help you glean from it. So that when your strength leaves you, and you have a hard time doing things that you used to be able to do easily, and all you've got is gray hair or no hair, and you've got more wrinkles, and you've got more uh, years behind you than you do in front of you, then there's still something that you can say, thank God. And there's still something that people are coming to you about because God is doing a work in your life. So... Uh, let's go with that in mind, looking at Hebrews chapter 12, and we're going to focus on verse 12 through 17. Um, I want to give you two goals in adversity that Scripture gives us, and then two things to watch out for. Uh, two things that will enable strength, two things that will derail strength and wisdom, or in experience and adversity. Uh, so, with that thought, let's look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse 12 through 17. And in honor of this being God's word, let's stand as we read this together. (laughs) Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. 
For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. You may be seated. First thing that you see here in our text is the word therefore, verse 12. He says, uh, all that we've said before means that we're going to rise up. We're going to get strong. We're not going to be just spiritually exhausted. What was it he said before? Well, verse 3 through 11, consider the fact that you have a father, a God who has the spirit of a father in your life. He is watching out for you as a father. He is working through adversity, through difficulties to strengthen you toward holiness, toward goodness. And in view of that, he says, let me go back to verses 1 and 2. Remember what verses 1 and 2 here says, look, run the race. Run the race with endurance. Run the race that's set before you. Run the race looking to Jesus. And therefore put away that which causes problems like sin and the weights that which hinders you from looking to Jesus. And so endure. And so in that same vein, he talks about the adversity and the spirit of it. And then verse 12, all right, that being said, Lift up your drooping hands. Strengthen your weak knees. That's the picture of utter exhaustion. I remember running track. <coughs> we had a little saying. When someone was running and they lost it, they just lost their, their, their form. They lost their, their pose. And uh, they quit trying and they were just surviving. We caught it. They've got the monkey on their back. It's just a little phrase. And it was a, it was a way, and we laughed about it because it wasn't us. Uh, but when we saw someone doing it, it's like, hey, they get the monkey off your back. It was a, a saying of it. You, you, are, you have stopped trying. You're now you're surviving and you've lost all form and you're not going to be effective. I, I felt this a little bit when I was exercising this past week after taking a week off. Um, we were doing the, I was taking uh, Taekwondo with the girls. And, and there's a point where after a while I thought, you know what? I don't care anymore. Let me just get over with it. Uh, I am exhausted. I'm exhausted. And so spiritually speaking, he's talking to people like this who are just exhausted and they going, they're going through life and they're no longer going through life intentionally with a purpose of seeking God. And that's what he, the whole point of this book is getting to. And all that he said up to this point is getting to this idea, considering who Jesus Christ is, uh, strive to enter the rest. Uh, if we have so great a salvation, don't forget these things. He's bringing out Christ, bringing out Christ, bringing them out. So he says, look to him, look to him, so that when you consider this Christ who acts as a loving God in discipline, strengthen your knees, lift up your hands, walk straight the path in front of you. And so verse 13 So that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. That's an interesting phrase. All right. You're limping through life. What he's saying is if you continue limping in life because God loves you, he's liable to put your leg out of joint to get you running right. Is that an interesting phrase? So that what is lame, walk right, walk straight, seek God so that what is lame may not be put out joint, but rather be healed. That you will see God in this situation. See God in the adversity. See God in the attack against you. Even if it's a godless, hateful person that's working against you. See God's role in this. So that your heart will be right. That you'll be seeking God and not just seeking revenge. If you continue down this path, 
God's liable to, uh, well, put you out of joint. <clears throat> so with that thought in mind, verse 14, here is a goal that we want, want to look to. In adversity, strength comes in seeking peace. Seeking peace. Strive for peace with everyone. And then also strive for holiness. Now, this word strive is going to, it's going to capture the, the attitude of what we're going to do in striving for peace as well as striving for holiness. Uh, this is the idea that we are seeking hard. We're going hard after something. Let me ask you, what do you go hard after in your life? If anybody was observing you and your lifestyle, what would they say you're going hard after? There's usually something, right? It could be going hard after ease, <laughs> going hard after being comfortable, but there is something you are going hard after. I remember uh, taking two of our, our, our members, former members that were on a trip, and they had a, a, a lifestyle together, a history together of uh, before they followed Christ, and uh, where they would do just nuts and cra- crazy stuff, um, you know, which often happens when you're drunk, and, and that's the case with these two. And, uh, they were over with me in, in, in India, and uh, we were learning about what work was like over there in ministry and mission, and, um, and we, were, we were riding a rickshaw together and first night there, and, and they just looked at one another and said, you know, we have done some crazy stuff in our life without Christ. But this tops them all. This tops them all. And I thought, you know, you're hitting on something. And how you pursued sin... Let it be said that because you're a follower of Christ, let you at least pursue Christ just as much as you pursued sin. For some of you guys, I pray that you pursue Christ just as much as you pursued women. That this is just something that becomes our heart, our passion. And so he says, strive. What do you go after? And so this is not an optional activity. Notice the word strive here is a command. It is a requirement, it's necessity that we're chasing after something here. It, it, this pursuit demands diligence and directed effort. It is not some spasmatic behavior or some reactive, but it is to define our lifelong activity that we are pursuing after two main things in our life. And so uh, it's also a process, though, that God is doing in our life. Now, I want you to uh, pair verse 14 with verse 11. Notice what it says in verse 11. Uh, it tells us what God is doing. God, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so God, what the Bible says there is that God is working in our difficulties, in our adversities, so that he will produce the peaceable fruit of righteousness. It's because God is doing that in our life, therefore, when we go through it, join God in that work and pursue peace all right now what is this idea of pursuing peace does that mean that we never are engaged in debate engaged in squabbles no the idea here is that which flows after what jesus said is the greatest commands what are the greatest commands so what's the first what's the the greatest command that anyone can do that's right love god with all of your heart soul mind and strength okay and he says the second is like unto it love your neighbor as yourself when you're loving god and when you're loving your neighbor the end result is that you become peaceable it it is a peaceable fruit of righteousness as you become like christ as become like him and you 
love people like Christ loved people, then peace is a side effect. It is a peaceable fruit of righteousness in our life. To say that we are pursuing the idea of loving our neighbor. Are we intentional? Are we striving after that? Is that our pursuit? Are we going hard after loving others? That means loving people in our church community, but also means loving people in our community. That's the idea of loving out loud. It is not just some kind of program. It is a focus, not just of our church, but as I read the scripture, it is the focus of believers that we are intentionally pursuing after loving people. And so this is something we strive to do. Now, what else do we strive to do? Well, in adversity, strength comes... Uh, in seeking peace, but strength comes also in seeking holiness. That's the same phrase, strive, that be diligent, pursue, go hard after holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. One of the two greatest commandments, love God, love others. Loving God is to love Him and His ways, His kingdom, His holiness. Also is encompassed, encompassed in this. Now, it has a sense of strength. Phrase here, without which no one will see the Lord. I challenge you to think hard on this. I think in in our life, we often, we think of holiness like extra credit. It's just, yeah, if you're really radical, if you're really devoted to Christ, then then you'll desire holiness. Sometimes we we hold holiness with one hand and then we hold with the other hand what we really want to do. And we see them at odds. And we'll hold holiness just as long as it doesn't get in the way of what we really want to do. Here's the thing. God does such a work in the believer's life that what he really wants to do is holiness. What he really wants to do is holiness. God uses discipline to pursue holiness in us. Look at verse 10. This is what God is doing in adversity. For they disciplined us for a short time, referring to earthly fathers as it seems best to him. But God, he disciplines us for a good that we may share his holiness. So when I go through something difficult, when someone cheats me out because I'm a believer in Christ, when someone ridicules me, makes false accusations against me because I'm a believer in Christ, when that happens, God is working in it to produce holiness. It's his grace at work. That's the whole point. So what should I do? Well, I want to follow God. I see what he's doing in this adversity. I'm going to also pursue holiness. I am just reflecting back what God is doing in my life. And so there is grace of God. If you want to be working with God, when you go through adversity, understand, if I want to work with God in this, God is doing all these things to help me be holy and to help me be righteous. And have the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So let me strive. Let me pray for. Let me see how I can also pursue holiness. Knowing that I'm not going anywhere. God has not first led me by his grace. This is why. The song that we say. Holiness, holiness. Make that my obsession. Let me ask you. Have you ever prayed for holiness in your life? Has that dawned on you as something I should be praying for? If it hasn't, I pray it just did. All right? God, 
maybe I should pray for holiness. And, and, and as, I, as I talk about this and, and think, you know, living as God wants me to live, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't really like that. I don't really want that. Then pray for God to change your heart. And as you start praying for this, start praying for holiness, say, I want to treat my spouse in a holy way. I want to treat my children in a holy way. I want to treat my parents, my boss, uh, my co-workers. I want, to, I want to treat fellow drivers on the road in holiness. That you pray for this. I think it was Robert Murray McChaney that had the prayer, God make me as holy as a saved sinner can be. To strive after these things. Now, Spurgeon wrote about this, that you will not gain holiness by standing still. Nobody ever grew holy without consenting, desiring, and agonizing to be holy. Sin will grow without sowing, but holiness needs cultivation. Follow it. It will not run after you. You must pursue it with determination, with eagerness, with perseverance, as a hunter pursues his prey. Interesting that before we were saved... We chased after sin. But now that we know Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, we chase after holiness and sin chases after us. Jerry Bridges, in, in writing about the book In the Pursuit of Holiness, which is a great book, by the way. This is something that's new territory for you. I encourage you to read that book, In the Pursuit of Holiness. He wrote this, Because we do not believe... That humility is the path to God's exaltation. We jockey for a place of position and power in our relations with others. Because we do not believe that God takes note of and will in this time avenge all wrongs done to us. We study in our own minds how we can get back at someone we feel has wronged us. Because we are not convinced of the deceitfulness of sin, we play with it. And thinking we will thereby find satisfaction. Because we do not have firm conviction that without holiness no one will see the Lord... We do not seriously pursue holiness as a priority in our lives. Faith and holiness are inextricably linked. Obeying the commands of God usually involves believing the promises of God. One definition of faith might be obeying the revealed will of God and trusting Him for the results. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. If we will pursue holiness, we must have faith to obey the will of God revealed in the Scripture and faith to believe that the promise of God will then be Hours. I've talked with you before that the root of sin and disobedience is unbelief. So let me ask you this question. When the Bible says, as, as what we've read, strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Let me ask you, do you believe that? Do you believe that without holiness, you won't see God? This is where I think once saved, always saved, and the... Um, the formed view of that, the deformed view of that, comes into trouble. When we said, okay, I've made a profession of faith one time in my life, I came forward and asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior and Lord. I believe that he died for me on the cross. and uh, yeah, I'm so glad he did because I don't want to go to hell. I want to be with God in heaven. And then consequently, thereby, you live your life any way you want. What do you do with this verse? You see... We find in Hebrews, as well in the Gospels, as well in Paul's letters throughout the Scriptures, new and old, that when God does a work in your life, He's not just interested in some profession. He's interested in a heart 
that loves him as the Savior, as his creator, as his God. So that hell and heaven, heaven is not a place for those who just don't want to go to hell. Heaven becomes a place who, of people who want to see God, want to see his holiness, who are extremely joyful in the presence of heaven and the presence of God because that has become their heart's desire. We look at heaven thinking, ah, you know, the way it's described, I don't know if I really want that. That doesn't sound all that exciting. Well, a couple of reasons there. One is that maybe you don't have an accurate description of heaven as Scripture gives it. But the other reason may be because you don't really desire God and the things of God. No, heaven won't be exciting to you. Now, this does not imply perfection. All right, you read this passage and like, oh my, we are in a heap of trouble. Because I just sinned. What we're talking about here is not perfection. Scripture makes it very clear in 1 John that we will sin. But when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Okay? We go to, we ask God to forgive us of our sins. But the idea is that we are directed toward the things of God. And when sin occurs in our life, there is a grief that blessed are those who are mourned. For they shall be comforted. Alright? There's the idea that that blessed are those who are poor in spirit because there's sin in the life, for they shall see God. You understand? He says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. The idea is not perfection, but the idea is that we see the sin and we understand the bankrupt nature and we are appealing to God to do a work in our life, not only to forgive us of our sin, but to give us the power to change our hearts, direct us to God, to save us from sin. All right, not just the penalty of sin, but we're praying for God to work in our lives to save us from the power of sin. And one day, we will be removed even from the very presence of sin. And we long for that day, and we look to that day. Now, these are two things, and, and why is this important? Because, look, when I'm going through adversity, I would, I would be incredibly disappointed if in that painful experience... I miss out on what God is trying to teach me. I think, what a waste. I remember when we were going through stuff and, and, and health-related, and, and I was thinking, oh, you know, God, I, I want to know you, what your purpose is. And I was reading through Philippians, and, and God was teaching me through Philippians and that Paul, when he was going through bad stuff happening to him, that people were falsely accusing him and trying to harm him, he got comfort, one, by the Spirit of God, the presence of God's Spirit, one, second, by the, the uh, prayers of his people, but third, he got comfort by the fact that he was living for Christ. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And, and I, I hope you can get that when you go through difficult stuff, you better make sure that your heart is set on the right direction, that God himself is working your life, that it is for Christ, that if I'm having to go through stuff, that my loved ones are going through bad stuff, I want to make sure I'm experiencing all the good that comes out of this that's possible, and that means, God, make me holy. Use this to make me holy. God, use this to produce the peaceable fruit of righteousness in my life. Help me to be Christ-like. Now, with that thought in mind, these are the two goals that we go to that will, uh, that will strengthen us, and, and strength will come as we seek these things, as we're seeking God. Now, let me give you two things to watch out for that Scripture gives us that can uh, zap us of strength in adversity. That strength wanes when we do this. And, and that's what we come to next as, as we keep reading the Scripture. 
Verse 15, he has this participle. Keep seeing to this. This is under the command of striving, striving, and as you're striving, pursuit of holiness, uh, and as you're striving in the pursuit of peace, as you're doing this, then see, see this, see that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Verse 15, in other words, God is working these verses. His grace is working to teach us holiness, to teach us righteousness. So if you don't see these as your goals, you're failing the grace of God. God is in painful experiencing, pouring his grace for two main results. Holiness and peaceable fruit of righteousness. If you don't see those goals, you're failing. You're falling short of God's grace in that adversity. So, see to that doesn't happen. And then he elaborates on that. See to it, keep seeing to it, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. All right? Now, this root of bitterness, uh, we've, you know, as we read it firsthand, we're thinking, okay, well, don't be bitter. And that is a good word. Uh, don't be bitter. That bitterness flows from expectations. When God does a verse in your life, we get better, bitter because, honestly, we expected something different. We didn't expect this to happen. We didn't expect uh, these, these marriage problems. We didn't expect these financial problems. We didn't expect our children to have these problems. We didn't expect our loved one to die. We didn't expect our children to die. We didn't expect these things to happen. We didn't expect persecution to occur this way. We didn't expect that suffering could be this hard. We didn't expect that oppression could be so prevalent. We didn't expect these things. And we get bitter because God... Surely you should have done something differently. And that's a good word to know that there's a root of bitterness that can spring up in our life. It's a good thing to understand that in adversity, one of the worst things that can happen is being bitter. However, I want to just bring to you that there's a little bit more meaning to this passage than just that. It seems very likely that as he's saying this phrase, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled... He's actually citing an Old Testament passage from Deuteronomy chapter 29. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 16 through 20. Let me read this to you. Old Testament time, referring to the God's people as they're leaving Egypt, going to the promised land. <coughs> you know how we lived in the land of Egypt? How we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed? And you have seen the detestable things, their idols of wood and stone of silver and gold which were among them? Beware, lest there be among you a man, a woman, a clan, or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. One who, when he hears the word of his sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be saved, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him, but rather the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man and the curses written in this book will settle upon him and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. Oh. What this passage is saying is people of God, watch out in case there's someone in your camp who starts seeking other things besides God, who starts seeking creation, the wood and the stones, these idols of, of the Egyptian lands. Beware for idolatry in your midst. And notice what it says? 
causes trouble, and by it many become defiled? Is this not the sin of Achan and, and Jericho? Do you remember that story in the Old Testament? Jericho, God had told the people to destroy everything, do not capture anything for themselves. Achan saw some beautiful pieces of uh, tapestry and gold and silver and said, hey, I want to keep this for myself. And so by so, he, he exalted gold and these beautiful created things over the God who enabled this opportunity to become and said, I'll forsake and sacrifice God's command so that I can do this for myself. And so consequently, when they went out to battle next, many men died of the Israelite camp. And it was revealed that sin was in the camp, and it was revealed that Achan was the man in his family who hid him, his sin. Moses is saying, don't be worshiping these created things. God is aware of these things. It can cause difficulty in the community. So that idea in the Old Testament, the Hebrew author is applying that now to the church. Beware, lest there's any root of bitterness. There is anything in the heart of mankind where they are striving after things other than Christ because that root, it will produce fruit and the fruit will be bitter indeed and cause trouble and by it many become defiled. I'm going to tell you that many times when a church goes through hard, difficult days in the community, in the peace of the community, more often than not, it's because there's a root of bitterness in the members themselves. There is something that they're striving after other than God. So let me just say this, that in adversity, strength wanes when there is seeking other than God. Why was it so important that we stress, seek God? <laughs> because I'm going to tell you that if we as a church don't seek God, then it is going to be a slow, painful death for Green Pines Baptists. There is no middle ground. Either we seek God or we suffer. Why am I doing this week after week and telling our young people, telling our children, telling their parents and the old people, telling us all, are we seeking God or are we seeking other things? This is a question we must ask ourselves. Because it causes trouble and by it many become defiled. Verse 16, what else? Do we watch out for in times of adversity? We're going to ask ourselves, look, am I seeking God or is this adversity revealing to me that I've been seeking other things, finding my hope in other things other than God? It's amazing how adversity can do that in our life. Difficulty can do that to get us to ask that question. Verse 16. This, again, a phrase that fits under that, that participle, seeing to it. Seeing to it. Strive, seeing to this. Seeing to that no one is sexually immoral or unholy. Okay? Now, in adversity, strength wanes in seeing God as unworthy. That The phrase uh, sexual immoral, it, it's obviously translated that in this phrase. It could just mean any indecent thing, any immoral, immorality thing, because he's referring to Esau, and the sin that's in question in Esau is not necessarily sexual, but it's definitely uh, immoral, indecent, Another phrasing for it is unholy. So, he talks about Isaiah. We find this story in Genesis chapter 25. Like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. And those of you who study Genesis with us, you're familiar with this passage. Right? Alright? 
Uh, if not, there's a whole log of sermons that you can listen to online as well as in the library. Get, get caught up, all right? Uh, now, the idea here is that Jacob and Esau were under Isaac and, and the promises of God, the birthright going through Isaac and Abraham. This was not just getting more stuff, but it was actually to say through this people, God's going to use a vessel that will bless the world. Bless the world. And so Esau, in Genesis 25, is a hungry one day, coming in from a hunt, and uh, sees the, the, the porridge that his brother made, and, and uh, brother says, you know what, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a little bit of the soup, I'll give you some of this if you uh, just sell your birthright. And, and, and Esau says, so what use is my birthright? Uh, yeah, let me have some food. And the, and the Bible describes this in verse 34 as he despised his birthright. He regarded it as unworthy. This thing that God had promised Esau, through him he can be a blessing. He can be part of this. He despised it and treated it as, you know what, that's great and stuff, but you know it's not nearly as great as this pot of soup right here. So he treated it as unworthy. What did he do? He, had, he let his appetite, literally his appetite, supplant the worthiness of what God's promises were. Quick fixes to make himself feel better. And what's so sad about this is he's traded in eternal things for food in which three or four hours later he would have needed to eat again. This is what the Bible describes as living for, for a broken cistern, living out a broken cistern. You know what a broken cistern, you know, collects water. I, I had a, did a rain barrel recently and I just went out this past weekend and I need to fill up our little koi pond that we got and need to put the water in there and, and it, the rain barrel is half empty. I'm thinking, oh, you know, this is great. I, I'm, you know, I'm glad I'm not having to rely on this because I'm going to pour more water in it for it to be useful, you know? Well, broken cisterns are like that in our life. When we get source and we get strength and we get hope out of things which only last for a little while and which we, requires for us to do it again and do it again and do it again to make us feel a little bit better, a little bit excited, a little bit joyful in our life and and it only lasts for a few hours, and we've got to do it all over again. And it starts leading us down an addictive cycle. That's what you call living out a broken cistern. So he says, don't be like Esau, who had appetite as his drive, and he treated it as unworthy the promises of God. Now, verse 17 is frightening. For we know that afterward, and this is several years afterward, uh, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. This is found in Genesis 27, verse 34 and 40, toward the end of Isaac's life. And he's giving out the blessings. And, and, and God uh, works through things. And, and, and Jacob gets the, the favored blessing through Jacob's deceit. Esau comes along. He wants his blessing. He doesn't get the favored blessing, the one that he traded for early in his life. And it hits him. He hits him what he did, how he traded things. And so, notice... He was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. There was no opportunity to repent. There was a point in time when it was too late. It was too late to realize I needed to live for these things that were more worthy instead of my appetite. And he cried. He felt sad about it. He wept. He hugged the feet. Of his father, but it was too late. There was no opportunity given him. Now, I want you to know that Scripture teaches there's a difference between late and too late. 1 John 5.16 says, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, 
he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All I want to bring out here is that the Bible does teach that there is an idea of being too late. We have in our mind, I had this in my mind as a teenager, that there would be one day I would repent. I had every intention that as soon as I left high school and got underneath my, out from underneath my parents' wings, I could make the decisions I want and do all the things I really wanted to do, which let me know that I wasn't a believer. And then maybe sometime later when it was more convenient, like having a wife and kids, then I would repent. I had a timetable when I would repent. You know what the scripture is saying? You can't do that. You don't have that right, that power, that place to say, I'm going to live any way I want to, and then sometime later I'm going to repent. That doesn't happen. God doesn't grant you that ability. And you can cry, and you can realize what you've done and made the mistakes, but there is such a thing as being too late. And I just want you to know that for those of you who are banking on the grace of God and abusing God's grace, I'm going to tell you there may be a point in time when God is convicting you now and you throw it away and you think, I'm going to do this sometime later. I'm going to tell you that may not be there. There may not be that grace of God given to you in that moment in time. The scripture says now is the day of salvation. When there is conviction in your heart, don't think, I'll, if I just resist this, It'll go away sometime. It's like bad appetite, you know. Esau got to the point when he regretted fearfully the decision he made, but there was no repentance, no opportunity found for him. Strength wanes in times of adversity when you see God as unworthy. When you say, yeah, yeah, Christ is all this thing. He died for my sins and uh, he, you know, he's given me resurrection of life, and he's, he's, you know, the spirit of God is there with me. Uh, yeah, I know all that stuff. I've heard it from a child, but I don't care. I want to live how I want to live. You know what you're doing? You're seeing God as unworthy because you'd much rather live for your passing pleasures and your appetites and your cravings. You push God aside. None of you would say, yeah, I'm not going to call God unworthy, but that's exactly what we're doing when by our actions we live for the comforts of life instead of the source of life. Think about it. John Reed. He, uh, he was the owner of the land of which the Reed's gold mine occurred here in North Carolina. It was the first major source of gold in our nation and a major source until the California gold rush. Uh, His son found a 17-pound nugget of gold just in the river, creek. They didn't know what it was. Wow, this is pretty neat. And so they thought, you know, I don't know what to do with it. It's pretty, it's heavy. I know, let's let's use it as a doorstop. So they had it as a doorstop. For about 17 months, a year and a half, just sitting there, you know, walking by. Evidently come upon some hard times and think, you know, maybe this is worth something. They took it to a person and a guy showed him, oh yeah, this is worth something. How much you want for it? <laughs> John Reed. Oh, I mean, maybe $3 and change. 
that would help me out for what I need right now. Sold it for $3 and some change. The jeweler then consequently resold it for like ten, three thousand some dollars. And uh, he thought, yeah, he didn't understand the value of what he had. That, well, maybe this would just help me out of my little hard time here. Had no idea that it was worth so much more. We treat Christ like that. We think, oh, well, maybe he'll help me out of my little hard time here and just give me what I need because life sure is, is tough. We have no idea that life is, is Jesus is just not a temporary savior for that little issue you're going through. That he is worth it all for you to say, you know what, my love for this one is greater than my love for my parents, my children, my, my, my spouse. That it would even in comparison seem as though I hate them. That he is worth that more because no one has died for me and rose again. No one has promised me life. No one is worth living for like this one. He is more costly than gold. And let me ask you, are you using Jesus just as a doorstop in your life? Adversity will come. And I pray that when it comes, you start seeing what God is doing in that time. That He is working in your life for holiness. Working in your life for the peaceable fruit of righteousness. That when you make those your own goals, you'll find that there is strength that comes from that. And that you will reject these things that wanes and tears you from strength. Like seeking others than God. And seeing God as unworthy. Throughout this message and throughout this book, it's always been the same. Those who know Jesus seek Him. Are you seeking him? Are you seeking hard? Can it be easily identified as the pursuit of your life? I'm going to tell you that pursuit prevails even in adversity. And and the hardest thing this world can throw at you, that still prevails as worth it all. Let's pray.